And it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're happy with that be right now. Yeah, I like, I'm so like, I mean, I am very happy. And just like the choices that I made, just like where I'm at right now, like I, I, right, I right now I'm like in between Richmond, Virginia and Los Angeles. So um, during the pandemic, I came back home and I really enjoyed that, you know, a lot, a lot for my daughter too. So I enjoy, and one of the things I enjoyed is like not industry related. And I think the industry doesn't do the best job of creating space for like moms. And like, I enjoy being a mom. I mean, I was very fortunate to be a producer. So Zay's been on um, every set that I've ever worked on. She's right, home right. or wherever. It doesn't, it hasn't really impacted me in the same way I think that it does other people, you know, um, who are moms and takes away opportunity and stuff like that. But um, be, being here, I like the setup for her. Welcome to Josiah's Voice. This podcast connects you with both new storytellers and seasoned pros in black cinema. Plus, I share my own creative journey along the way. Here's to elevating the culture. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Josiah's Voice on Black Filmmaking. I'm your host, Josiah Bradley, and I'm here today with Mel Jones to talk about all things filmmaking, specifically directing, the digital space, and screenwriting. So guys, help me welcome Mel Jones. Mel, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Also, shout out to Professor Gray and Ms. Bia for being great bridges and helping us connect I'm really excited for us to jump into this discussion today. Um, so let's jump right on in. Uh, what inspired your comedy series, Lamert Park? And yeah. are you at liberty to discuss a season two? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I can talk about it. So um, I think, you know, crazily, the way that things happen and the way that time works is like at the time, um, there weren't any shows with like, three black women on television at all, including um, Insecure. Um, and I was missing seeing things like that. Like I had a bunch of friends and, um, you know, just typically in in film and television, a lot of times um, black women are not at the center. And so there's usually just one of them, you know, like, and I wanted to see three, you know, or four or five or six, like a whole world where they just kind of existed and weren't kind of plopped into um, the storyline for like inclusivity purposes. So, um, and two, I was just like at a point in my life where um, I, you know, was like transitioning from being like super young to like needing to, needing to have, you know, be more responsible and having these questions about what am I going to do with my life exactly and how am I going to do it? And, you know, I think that was a position that a lot of, and I'm like an old millennial. So I'm like the oldest millennial you can be or whatever. Um, <laughs> my birthday is tomorrow, but I still have like ten, like millennial tendencies. And so like a bunch of us, you know, we're all having these questions. Um, and my, um, you know, co-creators, they were, they're like a lot younger than me. Um, and so we're all having these questions. So um, yeah, I decided to, kind of put what had been happening in my life, having lived in Lamar Park, um, really loving Lamar Park, knowing that 
eventually it was going to not be the, the way that it is um, now and even was then. It's already gone. Like the liquor bank, which is in the series, is no more. So every time anybody watches it, they're like, oh my God, the liquor bank, you know. Just, I knew that it was going to change and I wanted to do something to honor how special the space was to me um, and to preserve it in a way because I knew, you know, everything changes. Um, so um, that was another reason why it was set in Lunar Park and it was very intentional for, for it to be there. Yeah, you're reminding me, I hope I say it right, there's no Isawan books anymore either. No, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, it's gone. And like, all of that stuff, you know, it was just such, um, it was so informative to my growth, you know, in LA as an adult away from home and um, pursuing my career, being in Lamert Park was a place that I felt very grounded. Um, and it also reminded me as home, being from the East Coast where there's tons of Black people everywhere. Um, and then, you know, going to Lamert where that's where they all were, you know, <laughs> like it was just a place um, that I just, fell in love with um and it was I knew that it wasn't gonna be like that much longer and so I don't know if we got a shot of S1 we definitely shot right right next to it um but there's just so many places that we shot everything in Lamert for that reason so we didn't go to Burbank and, and, sh and shoot Burbank for Lamert you know all the interiors all the exteriors everything was in Lamert because I knew those places probably wouldn't be there later wow did that so how did you handle that pressure? It sounds like a pressure you're sensitive to things could be changing. How in the world did you handle that? Also, even emotionally, because now it's a, it's a form of a time capsule. Well, I mean, I think it was like, in general, I tend to, I tend to lean toward the joy. So I was like, we got to celebrate it while it's here, you know? Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's not going to be here. We can be mad. Everybody's mad. Gentrification is like a topic that's never going to go away. Um, but like, what are we going to do about it? I, I don't have um, the resources to buy up a block, right? And keep everybody who lives there there. But what I can do is I can preserve and create a blueprint for us to create this somewhere else, right? Because that's what happened. I mean, we moved from the, the country to the cities. There are migrations, there are always migrations everywhere. I think as Black people, we go, it becomes a cool place to be. It's going to continue to do that. And I think... Um, I wanted Lamert to be a reminder of that. Like it doesn't exist um, as a place in the same way, but in spirit, it can be created anywhere we go. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> that, that is, that's so true. And it's important for us to, to keep that in mind because you're right, things are changing all the time. In fact, I like this quote, I had to write it down um, that Ashley Blaine Featherson's character says, the thing about change is that you can't go to the minute just before and you don't control what comes after. Maybe it's just better to stay in the right now. Yeah. Like, wow. That's li that's literally how you felt, I'd assume, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we just got to enjoy Lamert and all the people and all the characters, um, how they lived, um, what we did. We had to enjoy it at that moment because it wasn't going to be like that. And it was, you know, just pretty evident by how things were changing. You know, the train was getting ready to be built, um, all those things. So it was it was definitely a moment in time to to hold precious. Yes. Well does does that affect the season two? It does to a degree. Like, you know, we we had done it, it was just kind of like a thing we did for fun, honestly. Um and we 
And we definitely, which is why I do anything. I only do, <laughs> which Very I know important. other people are like, oh, like, you know, in the business, I, I mean, I get it. Like <laughs> all of that is important, but I think, you know, you your life is important and like who you choose to spend your time with and how you choose to spend it is important. So um, I did, I made this with people who are still my friends, which I know for many projects can't be said after they're done. <laughs> You know, um, and um, we had a really good time, but we all kind of moved on past Lamert Park. Um, and then by the time, and even the actors, you know, everyone kind of moved into different spheres and are doing really different things. Like Ashley's now kind of like a host, you know, and does mm -hmm. that type of thing. And so, you know, it was, and then the other Ashley, I think she she built a a bus and she does like, intuitive readings and like she she like redid a bus and made it into like a pop-up intuitive reading tarot whatever um so like everyone kind of moved in different um directions and it wasn't it wasn't and at the same time because um and I guess we'll talk about digital and all that stuff there was this push macro was um you know the person the group who financiered it mm -hmm. and um and produced it and so they at the time there was a digital department and so they were really pushing, let's sell this digitally before we make it into a TV show or anything else. And I think the time we took trying to make that work, which, you know, obviously, as we can look at the landscape now, like no one made digital, you know, monetized, you know, the web, um, it, it kind of allowed for all these other things, like, you know, to take hold like that in television. So it was also just kind of like, eh, it's like one, it's not as groundbreaking as it was before. And it, even like, when Lamert Park came out, the next season they were set in Lamert. You know what I mean? Like mm. so, the first season they weren't, and then the next season they were set where and all the places we'd already shot. So it it almost felt kind of redundant, you know. Like it was like I think again, I think like the purpose of making it was to preserve Lamert, and and now even through Issa's show, it mm. was preserved. And I just didn't. Yeah. I I think I was just kind of like, eh, we can move on now. That's so cool. there won't be a season two, like. Everyone like Davida has a deal somewhere. Like I'm shooting a documentary and about to shoot my first feature film. And Cardi has um, moved into producing um, commercials, so we're all we're all doing different things. That's important. Upward mm -hmm. momentum. You know, mm -hmm. you just we just keep going. We just keep. Yeah, going. exactly. Well, I enjoyed it. Um, for all those Thank watching, you. you're welcome. And hey, for all those watching and listening, at least as of this recording. You can still watch the series season one on BET Plus, you know, mm -hmm. so it's it's still available for you to to enjoy. Um, I, I enjoyed the cast as as well. Um, Thank Ashley you. Blaine Featherston. Um, who else do we have? Um, Elaine Marcus. Um, uh, wait, 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 Elaine ex excuse yep. me. Thank you for the correction. Um, mm -hmm. I believe Asia Epperson. Did I say her name correctly? Yep, Asia Epperson. Ashley Haynes. Yep. There are some old faces, or, or not old faces, faces I was familiar with and new faces, new people I was introduced to thanks to your show. Yeah, and um, that was really um, thanks to Kim Coleman. I, you know, prior to directing, I produced a bunch of things with her and she was very gracious um, to take on a small Andy project like that and introduce me to new people and um, just some of those other faces. Like Wade had not, I think, he wasn't even on Insecure. Or yeah, he'd done one season of Insecure and Insecure hadn't aired yet when we okay. shot. So um, 
like, you know, he was, he was a new face to a lot of people too. Um, so it was nice to be able to kind of have, everyone was really about it. You know, they were like, Oh my God, my opportunity to show what I got. So it's a lot of fun to create and play with all of them. Yeah. I like how you said that, especially in the case of Wade. Um, I think because I have been blessed to be able to work in the film like yourself, I feel like I can appreciate like sometimes everyone's always moving all the time. Sometimes for the layman, people think, you know, they just showed up here or they did whatever. But if you're about it and if you got a little bit of luck, things are happening and you're bouncing from project to project, whether you're an actor, whether Mm -hmm. you're a director, writer, producer like yourself, no matter what, you don't know what's gonna, and you're not in control. You don't know yeah. when the premiere of whatever. You don't know when it's happen. gonna exactly because like also it took us um a long time to edit this. I had um so we done it and then I had where was oh I came to Virginia to shoot a film. So I was producing a movie and so like you know it was just like pause for like <laughs> a year. So like, it was like for, like it was That's like. A long yeah, it was a long time. Like we had gotten like our rough cut in, but like we did so many changes once I got back from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of like quickly got it together. So I think we shot we shot um, Juanita in February. And That's a fun movie. You know, yeah, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed that. So we did that like February, March, something like that. I don't know. And then over the summer, we kind of posted and stuff. And then the summer, I, I started. I finished um, editing it, and then we uh, you know submitted to Sundance. So it was. Um, but we had wrapped it, you know, the December before. Okay. Understood. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. here's two things that just jumped out. Um, what's at least one lesson overall you'll never forget about Lamert Park? Maybe just could be the right, could be the directing. And then Mm. what was it like your experience with Sundance? Oh yeah. Okay. So lesson, hmm, there are so many of them. <laughs> um, well, if you have okay. a couple, that's fine too. I don't know. Okay, so like, um, I would say, you know, just just short backstory. I was not supposed to direct that, right? Like, I I had been producing. I'd gone to school, um, as a producer, um, and that's how I identified myself and saw myself. And although it was a story that, you know, I'd created with um, Davida and Cotty and, you know, largely based off of my experience living in Lamar Park, I was the only one who actually lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, it You know, I, I was the producer and we were looking for um, directors. And, and what we found was, what was at the time, there was not that many women who were in comedy, uh, Black mm-hmm. women specifically. And so it just came down to like, well, if we're going to give these very dramatic Black women directors an opportunity, and I've been um, producing first-time directors, so kind of through osmosis, picked up a lot of skills, you know, telling the next first-time director what they do not want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, then why not take the chance on me if we're not going to, you know, if we're not going to really find someone who actually has those chops or, and, you know, those who did have them were were not available. Like everybody was um, snapping them up. So I think like, you know, in coming into the process, I think there's this huge kind of lore around being a director, you know, and even, and even, and even so like I, even though I made the first deck, 
created the thing, I still had to pitch to macro again what I would do as a director, right? Um, because, you know, it's just this idea. And when I got in there, I think I really learned that, um, you know, whenever you get to a place, you're probably ready to do whatever it was, wherever you got, because you built the skills somewhere or another to be there, even if you haven't actually done done it. And I think that's something that um, has really helped me as I move, you know, through my career, knowing like, oh, I've never really done it before, but if I'm here, I guess I'm ready. And I think that never having directed anything in my life and then having experience of it going to Sundance made that like a learning experience that felt experiential as well. And so I believe that, you know, like, okay, yeah, I can, if I'm here, I'm, I'm going to figure it out, you know? And I think that's really helpful. So that's a lesson that I learned. I think it's really important for anybody, especially, you know, with black women and uh, black people and imposter syndrome and all the things that we come up against just to be able to perform and do anything. Um, I think knowing that if you're there, you're supposed to be there is really important um, lesson to be learned. Um, and then the experience we went to Sundance was amazing. I mean, I've been there millions of times. Not millions, okay. <laughs> I speak in hyperbole, okay. But like, Copy. I've been, there, I was there, like you know, a lot of times with like regular like movies as a producer. Mm -hmm. But um, as a director, it was totally a totally different experience. I think it was one of the happiest like moments I've ever had. Like I was all of the things that you know. We had to come up against to make it and, you know, the long time it took to edit it. And we had three editors over the course of that time just because of that. You know, the time they would drop, you know, they could get on another project and get find somebody else. Um, so like all of that. And then we we ended up there. It was just like the hugest celebration and like release. Um, and it felt really good to celebrate with your friends, you know, like Always. Stephanie Lane, my mentor, you know, like she's a producer on it, you know, some of my good friends now, you know, we created it together. Wade, who's like a brother to me, because that's Stephanie's son, you know, he's, you know, an actor on it. So it was just um, nice to be in the company of um, what felt like family and just be able to celebrate in that way. And, you know, like there are times for everyone where you, you make something and, the experience of it was so brutal that even when it does really well, you're just over it, you know, you're just tired. Like, I'm just so glad it's done. And to not have that feeling, to feel like, oh my gosh, like what a celebration, what a joy, like what an opportunity um, was really great. And then, you know, going there, you meet all these other people and you get inspired by them. You know, my network grew, obviously. I was able to, you know, go to the Sundance Episodic Lab um, that following fall, like all of those things. Um, were direct kind of reflections of being a a Sundance alumni. So yeah. I think that was really, you know, important to my career and just like where I am now. Wow. That's that's amazing. Would you um how would you advise someone applying like to Sundance? Or like what if someone's like, so how in the world did she go to Sundance? How do I go to Sundance? What's that? Right. What where should our heads be? When it comes to I have a crazy story so. about that. Like, I think they, like, um, Macro wanted to just sell it. And, you know, th there was no, um, this was like the second year or maybe the first year of like a digital competition. Yeah, I think it was the first year of like oh, digital okay. series. And so they were like, no, don't, don't apply for that. And I remember Stephanie was like, let's just do it. Just, let's just see what happens. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we just slid it in there. I was like, let me get in. We'll see what happens, you know? So, um, 
we did that and thank God we did, you know, because we got in and it, we got good reviews and stuff. I mean, you just got to go online. I think it's Film Freeway and pay your your fee. And and that's what we did. Like, I didn't, I didn't call it. I, I didn't call anybody or there wasn't any relationship like that that I could call on. I know I did that a lot for films that I produced, mm-hmm. but there it was a new, it was digital. It wasn't. It was a new thing. So all those people were new. So we just had to put it in there. And also Macro didn't really want us to do it. So we couldn't really like flex like that. So yeah. we just had to put it in there and see what happened. So um in that in in that respect, I mean, yeah, you just um, make really good work and do the best job that you can and then you know, put it out into the world and it'll, it'll find its place. You know, I think I was very fortunate for that place to be Sundance, but that doesn't, whether it makes it to Sundance or some other place, an opportunity, a door will be opened, you know? And I think that's really important to know that your first thing isn't or shouldn't be looked at as your last thing. So if it doesn't perform the way that you feel like you wanted it to, it doesn't mean that you need to stop or that it's not really working in your favor. You might not be able to see it now, but later um, that could totally be the case. Got you. Wow. Yeah. That's, now that's amazing. And it just calls back to what you were saying earlier about a, like, I guess, belonging. That was kind of the word that came to mind when you started off initially and you were saying like, um, how did you put it? Something along the lines of uh, you're supposed if, to be there. Yeah. If you're there, you're supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So it's like, wherever it is, it's like, good. That's how I look at it. Like whatever path, your path is your path. So you, you know, um, I think what happens in Hollywood and really affects people's mental health and ability to even create is comparing your path to someone else's, you know? And I think um, there's so many people who've gotten to where there are so many different ways, but I think the thing that if they got to where they wanted to go or they're happy and feel successful, whatever that means to them, it's because they they went on their path, you know, and they mm-hmm. did what they needed to do how they needed to do it. So I think that's really important um, to know, even for your work, that it has its own path and it'll do what it needs to do. Awesome. Um, and how did that play into, for those curious, so Sundance and then BT Plus, for those interested, how does that process work? Well, my process, I don't think- I For your process. Pro- always strange right because like i'm gonna say what happened and i can say what normally happens because i have reduced a bunch of things that where the normal thing happens um okay no that's but but basically for lamar park because it it came out during a time where none of these other shows were showing um, black women's sexuality in that way even though if you watch it it's like pd in my opinion like but (laughs) but like it, nobody was talking about that and we weren't okay. you know it was like kind of like t- two lanes that you could be in as a black woman on film celebrity as like a uh, secretary mom like non-sexual being or hypersexualized you know what i mean like it was like those two those kind of two lanes and these women didn't fit in that and so a lot of places um who liked the material could not buy it because they were like we can't sell ads against it because it's too racy because seeing black women in that in that way um mm-hmm. wasn't something that they were used to seeing you know cut to like six months later when the second season of Issa Rae show came out 
it was a different conversation. And then all these other shows popped up, you know, where it's, you know, their women are doing what they always do, you know, right. And it's fine. They can be broad and, um, um, have different aspects, but that wasn't the case. Like as soon, you know, timing is everything. So that wasn't the case when, when Lamar came out. And so BT looked at it and was like, we like it, but it's, it's just too much. Um, when, when it first came out at Sundance and also just a couple other streaming platforms, everyone was kind of like, mm, like, we don't, it's just a lot. It's, it's a lot, you know? And I'm like, what? Okay. And then the pandemic hit. Right. And everybody needs material. And, mm-hmm. and, and there, there's all this proof of concept at that point. Right. All, all of these other shows where people are watching it and people like it and people want to see it, um, see women in these real situations. So they call like, hey, you know, can we, can we get that? <laughs> We're like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's kind of like how, how that worked out. I mean, that's not normal, you know? So, I mean, like normally let's say, let's put, let me think of something that's sold. Because mm, some of the Netflix stuff, you know, you know, it was going to be in Netflix. Okay. Um, white people sold, right? So it went. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about that, but go ahead. You know, so it went to a festival. Mm-hmm. People really liked it. It got bought, you know, and right away. And then it found its it found its way to Netflix. I think it was licensed though, so I don't even know if it's on Netflix anymore. But, um, but yeah, that's that's, that's kind of example. Mm-hmm, that's an example. And it, and it had, I think, Focus. It had a theatrical run, so I think mm-hmm. Focus. That's right. So, either way, like yeah, it had a whole kind of traditional you take it to a market which is the the, the festival mm-hmm. the is there like it somebody buys it and then they create a distribution plan um so that's typically how that works thank you for that breakdown and again thanks for like the, we're talking about time a lot i'm seeing which is really important because again for the layman they're not aware of the, the machinations behind the scenes and how long it takes mm-hmm. for things to happen. Cause mm-hmm. you're talking about, like, I guess it would have been, the show yeah. came out 2021, right? Yeah. And then, but the, but it was made like five years ago. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And, and the, the crazy thing about it is it's still relevant. Cause I thought, oh my God, this, I mean, do they really want want this? Like, it, but it's still, like when I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, it still plays. Like it's still, it still feels timely. It still feels um, of today, but um, yeah, it was made five years ago. Yeah, because when I watched it, I'm, of course I'm watching it when Harlem is out uh, and yeah. Sierra just wrapped. Uh, yeah. I'm probably forgetting something because the landscape is so different. There's so yeah. much more variety for our black stories and whatnot. But mm-hmm. like you said, five years ago, when you were writing, when you were pitching, when you when all the that was six. I mean, that, that was six and seven years ago. You know what I mean? Like when you're writing and pitching and asking macro for money, that's six, seven years ago. You and know, so people so, aren't people aren't yes, man. Th- people aren't always aware because uh, mm-hmm. this might sound a little weird. Let me see if you can go with me. It's remind me of some loose uh, understanding I have of like when Batman Begins and Doctor Strange were being made. I don't know if you're a superhero film person. I do love Doctor Strange. Yes. Yes. Doctor okay. Strange superhero. 
it took forever and like i think both films kind of have like some overlap even in the writing they might have been filmed somewhere sort of kind of the same time or were being mm -hmm. pitched or something like that but then they come out when they come out batman begins came out maybe 10 years five ten years before dr strange and yeah. so then you get comparisons and things when mm -hmm. things finally hit but the layman doesn't know that behind the scenes there's so many different things and everything really has to happen like yeah. in concert in a perfect kind of alchemy uh, for it to be out in the world and so sometimes you might think it's right now that's the time it's not you know like it did really well it got you know Lamar Deborah and it was just like it didn't really pop right afterward mm -hmm. it was too sexual at the time and then later it wasn't because even refinery 29 was like trying to buy it and they're just like we're having a hard time with our ads with our ads folks mm -hmm. they're like we can't, we can't put ads against this but i love your attitude with i mean maybe it's easier now <laughs> right yeah i mean it's definitely easier now but i was kind of like that then like i gotcha. mean you know i made that and then i was off producing another movie you know like you know i was it was just Onto like all right like, we're just gonna keep going i think that's you know so i was just like all right well we'll and and at Sundance, I was I knew that I wanted to continue to direct, but I'm also a single mom, okay. and I knew that my daughter was way too bougie to eat ramen noodles every day, which <laughs> would, would be like what would need to happen if I was just gonna transition and just not produce anymore and not be an executive and not you know, um, and so I did the slow kind of roll out, okay. and at Sundance five years ago, a friend of mine who's now my business partner. Um, and I, we talked about starting a commercial production company because as an independent film producer, not a lot of money is made, but it's where my heart is in terms of giving people opportunities, having the freedom to really make as much as you can make what it is that you want to make, um, and say things about and tell stories about, um, underrepresented groups, groups that don't really have a voice, um, in comparison to dominant culture. And like, you know, the commercial production company started five years ago. We're still doing really well. I get to direct commercials and have an opportunity to play with expensive equipment and all the things I wouldn't in an indie situation. Um, and at the same time, it's two, three day shoots and I'm back home. Um, and then I can still, you know, I still produce movies and um, I now have a, a feature to direct. So I think it's just you know, figuring out, figuring out what works for you and not being on, you know, because everybody's like, oh, you got to have your next thing with Sundance. It's like, no, no, no. I really do think that that's definitely true. You should be always working. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. But at the same time, um, Ryan Coogler's like that. Mm -hmm. That worked out for him. You know, so you got to do what works for you as well. Like if, you, if you can't multitask in that way and be working on 25 different projects, don't stress yourself. You know what I mean? Like, do what you do what you do well um and i think that's kind of what i learned through that sentence experience like i have a whole obviously i'm entrepreneurial entrepreneurial as well and the whole company is doing really well and allows me the freedom to say yes to things and know the things and live the way i want to live so it's good fire i love that and you just dropped a lot of knowledge and a lot of a uh, uh attitude or mindset tips that people need it, it it's always worth being reminded about things like um walking your own path everyone's situation is different um how to handle imposter syndrome which 
probably has to be your own way, not that other people's advice can't help, and mm-hmm. how all these different healthy mindsets um, and knowledge of the industry and your own path can help you as yeah. you walk your own path, be it the mainstream. It really yeah, know ahead. what you want. You know, I think it's really important. It's like, you know, I, I personally am not the red carpet person, you know, like I could take or leave a red carpet, you know, but if that's something that you really like and want, then that's cool. Like then you chart your path to get there. Right. And so I think it's also being very clear that like every part of Hollywood might not, you're not going to probably need or want. And so what is it that you want to engage yourself in and what do you want to put your time and energy into? And not just because you feel like you're supposed to, because like, I never really went, I never went to Hollywood parties and stuff. I like my daughter's nine. Like I was like, a mom at 30 so I was just like uh, you know what I mean I'm at home y'all like I'm gonna go to a coffee and I'm gonna go to a lunch you know and that's yeah. like how I'm networking but like I wasn't out partying or doing that stuff and I still made a movie a year that she was born every year that she has been alive I made a movie until the pandemic so wow. it's like you know you don't it doesn't have to look a certain way you don't have to you're not I'm supposed to do this or I have to network or however you can do it however works for you you just have to understand what's important to you if you like partying like that which I mean I enjoy going out but if that's like something that you really like um then you could you build that in and go I do what I like and I get the network it works it works so I think it's just about um doing what actually works for you so you don't stress yourself trying to do all the things that everyone's telling you you should you know you should be doing that's great. You got to know yourself. You got to do it your yeah. way. Your career is not going to look like anyone else's. I don't care that it sounds cheesy and cliche. It's just True. what it is. <laughs> like, it's just really kind of what it is. And the, the sooner you can, because you really don't know, uh, you know, also those people's experiences of their own careers, you know, and what they actually feel about their own careers and what they had to sacrifice. And, you know, you're going to get every time you make something or you do something, you're going to get opportunities to make choices about those sacrifices yourself and you might realize you don't even want to do that you know so I think I think it's really important just to stay on stay in your lane and keep going and you when when it comes to you you make the decision in which path you're going to take like the rock used to say know your role jabroni (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) you know you gotta be happy and it sounds like you're it sounds like you're happy would that be right now yeah I like I'm so like I mean I I'm very happy and just like the choices that I made, just like where I'm at right now, like I, I, right, I right now I'm like in between Richmond, Virginia and Los Angeles. So um, during the pandemic, I came back home and I really enjoyed that, you know, a lot, a lot for my daughter too. So I enjoy, and one of the things I enjoy is like not industry related. And I think the industry doesn't do the best job of creating space for like moms. And like, I enjoy being a mom. I mean, I was very fortunate to be a producer. So Zay's been on um every set that I've ever worked on she's home right or wherever it doesn't it hasn't really impacted me in the same way I think that it does other people you know um who are moms and takes away opportunity and stuff like that but um being here I like the setup for her so and I've been able to kind of create a situation where she's homeschooled and I can go from Richmond to Los Angeles whenever I need to and I just really like the setup that I've been able to make and obviously it's been really thinking about what's important to me and you know what I really want to do and kind of following that to 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 build out what my life looks like and then you start talking to people and you're like wait you live in Virginia too 
I didn't know that. You know, there's yeah. all people <laughs> doing all this stuff. I'm like, I didn't even know. Like, there's a there's a director, well-known director that lives in Virginia. And no one knows that. I mean, they have a place in LA and stuff for when they need to be there, but they gotta yeah. live on a farm, you know? And so I think it's also just what you see isn't the whole picture. So you gotta do, you know, what you and like a lot of people don't know that I live in Virginia half the time. So nice. You you gotta yeah. make it work for you. And I love how you're in control of your life and you're working with what works for you like you you really got to be in the pocket i guess they say that yeah you do because you can burn out you know like you can really burn out i think if you if you if you spread yourself too thin you know so i think really kind of focusing your efforts and your energies to where whatever that you know goal is um and, and and making sure you create an environment um where you can actually achieve that goal is really important Awesome. You know, with that, guys, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more with Mel Jennings. Stay tuned. This episode of Josiah's Voice Podcast is brought to you by Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural, smooth human voice. It won't be my voice, but no app is perfect, but this one's pretty close. Because for the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, science, to Bitcoin, or pop culture and movies. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well, exploring trending podcasts from over 50 countries. Like this one. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. That's www.newsly.me. Or from the link in the description. And use my promo code, Josiah Voice. J-O-S-I-A-H, Voice. I'll put that in the description for you. When you click it, you'll receive a one-month free premium subscription to Newsly. Stop scrolling. Start listening with Newsly. Okay, we're back, guys, with Mel Jones. Uh, Mel, let's talk briefly a little bit more about yourself. Um, you mentioned Virginia. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about like influential films, growing mm-hmm. up or TV shows, and you are an alum of Howard University, isn't that right? I mean, I am. Yes. From, from the, the, the I'm from the DMV I, area. Are you? Yes, I, I grew up in Maryland. I could kind of feel that actually. Where, where, like PG County or where? Yep. yep. Upper Marlboro, where, where, where? Yeah, I grew up in Laurel. Laurel. Mm -hmm. Laurel, and then moved uh, in high school uh, age to um, Upper Marlboro, Bowie area. My mom homeschooled my brothers and I actually. I could tell. I was like, feels like Upper Marlboro. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I went to PGCC and then eventually went to Towson University. Oh, wow. So you stayed home. Yeah. Oh, Towson. Um, Angel went to Towson, I think. Angel Christie Williams, who is the director of Really Love. I think, Angel. I think so. Yes, that's right. We got to mm-hmm. talk about that in a little bit, too. But yeah, so yeah. DMV. Okay, so yeah, DMV. Like, <laughs> DMV. So yeah, like, I mean, daughter of, a, I think one of my first um, influences, which I feel like I say this on every podcast, but it's true. So um is my dad my dad is a preacher and so um I'm a PK but I was one of those PKs that like didn't do what they're supposed to be doing so I wasn't I wasn't 
moving into the ministry as a lot of my other relatives have. But I knew that like teaching um, and, and telling stories was really important to me. And I, because I saw how impactful it was for the members of my, my father's congregation, just how somebody could come in torn up about something and come out happy, you know, and like, how is that happening? Like a story did that. Um, and so I originally thought maybe, you know, journalism was where I wanted to be. And I moved in that path and certain movies too. Like, I mean, I watched movies with my dad. So like the movies that I watched though, were like, I don't know, like, remember the show enough one? What is it? Um, the Kung Fu one. We watched that all the time. You said it was a show? No, it would no. They they were always like show enough. Show oh, show. you know, and it was like a kung show fu enough. movie. It was a movie with Leroy. Oh, I'm drawing black, a terrible blank. You know what I'm talking about? I'll I'll tell you a little. But like we watched stuff like that, like very masculine, um, like car chases, less of violence. Like that's what I grew up watching. I mean, you know, like I wasn't. You know how people have. You know, my parents took me to the art house films and I, like that, that's <laughs> that, that wasn't my experience at all. And I think so when I came upon a movie like Each Bayou, mm. I was like, whoa, you know, like because what I've been watching, which I still love and and I like really, really want to make um a heist movie, but like because mm. I grew up watching them, but like, like I was like, wow, this is so deep, you know, and so deeply emotional and um, tackling issues and so small, but so big at the same time. And I think that really was like a pivotal film um, for me, uh, you know, and it came out a little bit later, you know, but like where I was like, wow, like this is, I would want to do something like that, you know, like, you know, before I was just a spectator, I didn't look at films um, I wasn't like a film nerd or anything like that. I watched all the films everybody else watched. I like Disney stuff. Like I like really basic stuff, you know? Sure. Um, and I and I thought that the way that I was gonna impact the world was through journalism, through telling, because what I really love was people. And I think maybe that's even probably what's probably coming through in this whole thing is like the form, like filmmaking, the form is important to me because it reaches the most people. Um, and I think that like, so that's that's my way in, right? Like so, like I said, like if the red carpet is your way in. That's cool. Like my way in was like to reach as many people as possible, um, and to use like one of the most powerful tools, which is stories, to do it. And so film does that. And so I think you know, but then seeing like stuff like East Bayou, seeing like, um, and also black people on screen. I mean, and then TV was, I, and I think it was really TV for me. I mean, Martin, a different world, living single, like all of that stuff like I just yeah. I wanted to be able to tell the stories of my friends you know and I think that's what Lamar Park did that's what Bernie Sands did that's what the stories of like my life and like being able to see myself reflected because I, I have this like feeling that I don't know if it's really true but if you don't see yourself reflected in the world or in art it's almost as if you don't exist in a way you know and so I just want to see more and more and more and more of it um, and have fun. Like, I think, you know, like that's that's kind of where where I came in to the process. And I think it was just kind of following that path. Like I did anthropology and I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, so a documentary film is what I studied um, in photography. So I thought I would be a DP. I would shoot and do everything else. And then 
um, a friend of mine had me produce his short and I was like, whoa, like I'm in charge, charge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to be a DP. Like they, no, like someone else is telling you how to make it look. No, you know, like I want to be in charge. I want to make sure these things happen and like get it to the finish line. Um, and I think like after that, that's when I went to AFI and, and started producing, but I think it was just like, um, what was the question? The question was just like, how did I get here? I think it was really wanting to see myself um, and my friends and my community um, and wanting to make sure that as many people in the world could see it so that they could connect to it too, even if they weren't from my community and from my world. And so that there was some type of like means of connection. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Like, you think about all the films, that's what they're about. I mean, like, yeah. that's what I mean. I think that's why I'm a little bit different. Like, like Bernie Sands is a cautionary tale about hazing. You know what I mean? Yep. Like um, everyone in my family is in a fraternity or a sorority. Okay. Um, you know, Juanita is a coming of age story for an older woman. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, that's, I think, really important when we think about Black women and how they tend to put everyone else before them. You get a certain age, you're like, what happened? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a cautionary tale for young and old women, you know. Right. Um, and then it, you know, then like or the dear weekend, white dear white people, what you know, be you know, like a story about you know, black people want to be in the same space and all the trouble that could cause, you know, and like, but it's real experiences. It was saying like all, everything says something, I guess, and has some type of social implication, but is it entertaining? Like it's fun to watch, you know, and. Lamar Park was about Black women, um, sexuality and desire. Um, so it's all these things that are just important to me to say and to have um, be said. And like so many people connected to Lamar Park who were not Black women mm -hmm. because they felt these same things, you know? And I think it, it's really important to to put those stories out there to connect us and to, to hopefully, you know, build bridges. That's amazing. Um, let's talk about producer lessons um we I, I shouted out professor gray earlier you guys were i don't know to what extent but you guys worked on really love and i think you i think you mentioned that earlier and i have that in my notes mm -hmm. yeah. what was what was that experience like and what lessons did you glean from that as a well, producer being a i learned a lot of lessons i learned a lot of lessons i learned a lot of lessons so let me think about which ones um Huh. I mean, I'd already been producing first-time directors. Um, so I, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on that. But I think it was like, it was my first time being a producer for hire in a way. Like, um, and that was an interesting experience. And I think that like, when being when serving as a producer for hire for another production company that's not yours um it you there there are a bunch of goals you know there's so many um there's so many things that so many people want your director wants something that is ultimately different than what the production company wants you know what i mean and yeah. um your actors want something different and you're not you're in charge, obviously, like you're making it all run, but you have to understand like what the goals of 
of the person who's paying people that are paying you and then what the what the goals are creatively and um threading and when it's you that's in charge then you know what your goals are right and then you just you're dealing with making sure you're um I guess like closing the gap between what your goals are and what the director's goals are and figuring out like how to be moving and step when there's a like a production company or whatever then there's some other entity that also has to be in line um and I think being like playing that middle I learned a lot about playing the middle role like um and and bringing people together communicating to one side with the other side was unable to communicate and really the importance of um communication I think was something that I really learned like very clear communication yeah um I think I really learned like um how to call out issues that I would see go because another thing is like let's say as a producer I'm I'm I want to hit a thing head on we got to deal with it now that's kind of how I am that's not everybody's way so maybe maybe it's like daunting or not something you want to deal with as a director or maybe or as a production company you're like well let's just see down the line calling it out you know being like this is a flag this is a red flag everyone you know, don't you know you want to deal with it right now? We're gonna deal with it at some point, but just there's a like learning it, the tactful, like how to have that tact. Like I learned a lot. Like it just like like decorum and um just all of those and and um you know when it's another organization and it's like a bigger company then it's like all of these um internal relationships that may not be like what they need to be so like figuring out how to manage those relationships like who's really the boss or like who do I need to talk to or do I need to cc everybody on it like these are like things that you need to know and I think like having been able to do everything on my own all those you know other films it was definitely a learning um, experience and a really good learning experience. Like I took, I take, I took all of that into like how I run my business, how I structure my company, how I communicate um, to others, um, and just I learned so much about like production companies. Like I wasn't in a production company ever. It was just me producing stuff for like Netflix, right? So in a way, we created a company for the film, and then Netflix had it, and that was it. And they were very hands off in the beginning days, but like. How, how to be a production company, how to interact, how to engage company culture, like all of that stuff. I like, I feel like I became like a scholar and all of that through that movie. And then on top of that, like I learned how to um, deal with unions in um, like Maryland, <laughs> which is okay. like, a, they're like, Maryland is, your state is rough, buddy, <laughs> rough, okay? Sorry. And you know, also I'm coming in as like a black woman who's like um looks looked very young then and and um you know, it is now. <laughs> and older oh thank you. And and the old you know, older white men are looking like you're my boss, like nah, you know, and no, just kind you. of okay. Just yeah. kind of dealing with those dynamics and and trying to, you know, work through kind of those roadblocks. It was a it was a very challenging shoot. But the movie came out so good. So I was like, worth it at the end. But it was definitely ch- challenging shooting in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned, you know, all about all of that and just kind of the union ways. Um, 
in a more in-depth way. I've worked in right-to-work states, which is a little bit different um, than Maryland. So um, that was a very good education as well. But yeah, in general, I just learned, I think really um, I up-leveled my skills, um, you know, in terms of being in charge. And it's Stephanie also wasn't there. So Stephanie was the EP, but with Bernie Sands, Stephanie wasn't there either, but it was me and Stephanie's company, you know? Okay. Um, but this time it was me by myself. And I think it was also a really good um, learning opportunity. I, I really feel like I stepped into like um, like a, a, a bigger and stronger role as a producer. I understood, you know, like um, that I had the chops. So if I wanted to go produce a studio film, I totally could um, after that experience for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned, I think, Stephanie before. Can you remind us who you're? Oh, yeah. yeah, so Stephanie Elaine first was my mentor. She is um, an amazing producer. Um, she's also a writer. Uh, she wrote a book, a children's book recently, too. Um, nice. And, um, but you would know her for Boys in the Hood. Okay. Simone. Um, you said Black Snake Moon? Yep. Gotcha. Something new, Biker Boys. Okay. Um, you would know her for those. And, and she's just, she's a mainstay in Hollywood. Um, she produced uh, the Oscars a couple of years ago. She's a big deal. And she yeah. ended up being my mentor. And then um, kind of like my fairy film mother in a way. Um, you know, I was able to learn under her. She took me to her wing. We produced movies together. I ended up being the president of her company toward the end of, of my time there. And um, we're still really good friends now. She's still my mentor. So um, yeah, that's who Stephanie Elaine is. And so, you know, she we made every single movie together, including Really Love, but she was in a, in a less of a kind of producer, like on the ground producerial capacity. And so that was um, also just... Um, a different experience for me and it, and it allowed me to spread my wings so yeah when did you know that you were a producer and what would you say to to young people aspiring to be a producer you need this out the gate or should develop this to be a strong producer one day I think you have to well there's so many different ways that's where producer union producers union is, I guess, for me now because okay. everyone can get it right, right, and then some people don't do anything. That's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but like, if you want to be a producer like me, like who's actually like on the ground and like does stuff, then um, I think you need to know good material, um, or know what you. Uh, I mean, good is subjective, um, no, but like, course. know what makes you tick you know and 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 understand like how to um identify the projects that you're willing to put all this energy into right because you know i don't think an independent producer i don't even know if studio producers make enough money for the time and effort um that they put in to make the film it's a huge job and i think it really has to be for the love of the story um to a degree to be a producer especially an independent one um, so I think you really have to be able to identify the situations that you want to be in. Sometimes it's not always about the script though. Um, sometimes it's about the people. 
Um, and so you really have to figure out what motivates you and what's going to keep you going because you're going to hit roadblocks and challenges. And um, that's just the nature of um, being a producer. You're a critical thinker. All you do is solve problems all day, you know? So like, I think having the the passion for it is what you need. Everything else, I think you'll figure it out, you know, or you can find somebody else to figure it out. Like if you don't like budgets, somebody else will do it. Um, you, you know, you'll hire a line producer. If you're not really want to deal with agents, your producing partner can call the agents, mm -hmm. you know, like you can figure it out, but you got to have the passion for it for sure. Gotcha. And then when did you know that you were a producer, that you had all that? Honestly, I think I knew I had all of that since I was a kid. Like I was producing people from a job time I probably came out. You know what I mean? Like, no, like, I mean, I was, I, I mean, I was producing my, my brothers and sisters. Like we made every, every Mother's Day and Father's Day, I made them do a program, like, you know, sing, play instruments and the whole thing. Like I've been doing it. So I think it's also part of your personality to want to organize things and make things happen and produce things and um so it, it makes it easier if it's something that you just naturally do I think that part of it came naturally to to me but a film producer I think I realized it the first short that I did Gosh. just like I was able to um anticipate things and 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 think about problems that would arise ahead of them arising in a way where I was like oh I could do this like this is totally like this is yeah like this I could this could be my job like I, I could and it became my job so um but like yeah I think I knew it after I did it the first time that it was something that I wanted to do and I think that's how you learn how you want to do anything really so try it I think that's if you think you want to be a producer try it one good time you'll know if you want to keep doing it or not real quick real quick okay do you have a tried and true first approach to producing does that make sense? Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm learning more about the role. Do you find that there's maybe a mind, maybe a mindset or something that it serves you every time? Because every project will be different. Oh yeah. Um, I might be asking the same question a different way. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I think no, no, no. I, no, I, I know what you mean. I think I go into everything knowing I don't know. So like, because it's different, you're, you should look at it as a big, a blank slate. So you, you're going to have, um, institutionalized knowledge, right? There's certain things you're always going to need locations and you're always going to need whatever. So you're going to understand the basis of what you need more and more. But once you get past that, like for first couple films, you got to look at it as its own entity. So I look at, so the way that I look at filmmaking is like the producer's the mom and the director's the dad. So that's how I come to every approach. And every relationship is different. Every mom and dad are different. So every time I become the mom to a director's dad, they're they're gonna, it's gonna be a different, we're gonna have a different relationship. And so I build like I build around that. You know what I mean? Like what does so the producer has to like, you know, everybody comes to mom when there's a problem. Everybody wants to go have fun with dad. You know, this is all traditionally, like, you know, traditional right. kind of general. But like, um, and so you you kind of figure out, all right, how are we gonna play off of each other? Cause that's kind of like your first partner in it all. Like I mean, maybe the writer you came in and you paid them or whatever, but um, but then it's you and the director, and then build out from there, knowing that this relationship is gonna be different. 
there are going to be different requirements. Some directors are going to call you at midnight and you have to decide, like, are you going to make a boundary about that and say, can I call me at midnight? Or do you feel like that's something that's necessary for this relationship? You know what I mean? Like, you got to, like, make, you know, all of these decisions based on who you're working with and then decide, like, this director doesn't really like to hear the word no. I mean, the, the word, it's going to happen. No, it's going to happen. But how do I... How do I say no without saying it? Like this director wants to know what the no is up front so they can think of something else, you know, like quickly instead of getting all the way to the end and having to think back. So, you know, knowing um, like working in that relationship and kind of figuring out what your producer director relationship is, I guess the first, my first way of approaching it. And then all the rest of the institutionalized stuff, all the stuff that's always the same, is always going to be the same. And then all the things that are different, like maybe you have a kid, never had a kid before, maybe you got a car crash, maybe you have a visual effect. You, it's a learning. You figure it out. You hire the right people. You make the right phone calls. You get advice and you move forward. I like how you said, like, knowing how to say no without saying no and trying to figure out your director-producer relationship. You're saying that's one of the, like, the most important things or first things you do with your approach. And mm -hmm. maybe you'd recommend that to everybody. Yeah, even, I would. I mean, yeah. Even in a screenwriting sense, and I'll ask you some stuff about that later, but it called to mind note behind the note where, oh, yeah. where, you know, we hear advice all the time about also learning how to take notes and even communicate whether you understand the note from the producers. Like, what is it that they're really saying? And I've heard that's kind of an art form that came to mind when you were just yeah, describing yeah. the relationship between the producer and director. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the same type of deal. You know, people, you know, people are people. They have experiences before you met them that got them to where they are and they have preferences and ways to like do things and communication styles and everything else. And you got to figure that out and figure out the best way to get what you need. Um, and sometimes it's not saying no. It's saying, let me think about that. Or what do you think about this? You know, whatever you got to do. Yeah. Or, and sometimes it is like saying no, like, mm -mm. And sometimes it is like answer the phone at midnight. And sometimes it's like, um, you're going to email me your problems after 10 o'clock. Like, it just depends on, you know, who it is, what it is. I mean, so I guess, yeah, I think it's, it's really about determining what's needed and what the right approach would be for your director who you're working with. Um, and then going from there. Now let's switch to directing for a moment. What would you say your directing style is? Or are you still developing it? Um, I think I'm still developing it, but like, I definitely think I'm, I, well, I know that I'm, I'm super collaborative. I love, I love sitting down and having a conversation about something, you know? And like, that's where all my ideas, like the spitballing part. Um, I've even realized even from writing, like voice memoing it, talking things out is better for me than, me um, then just trying to write so talking it out and be like and then this could happen oh wait what this? like and then listening to it later and be like okay that was a good winner and all that like but like talking things out spitballing working in groups group think all of that is definitely um a part of my style I think that I've noticed over time that there's just a level of frankness in all of my work I'm pretty frank um like it just I don't even know if that's exact word to describe it. There's a like honesty is there for sure, but it's like 
almost a little bit matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to, and I've I've come to embrace that. Like it because I'm like that. And so it's interesting that people, like I didn't see it until people said it back to me um, a number of times in their way. But like, this just like, it's just this realness, you know, like it feels very like tangible and whatever else. And I like that because I feel like that means that my voice somehow is making its way through um, because I'm very kind of like real and like kind of what you see is what you get. Um, And so- I really like that and um and we've been developing that further. Um I think like it, a lot of my work has a lot of heart. Um so sometimes it's funny but it's not like like you know like laugh out loud <laughs> hilarious yeah. but, but it it's funny because it's is because of the heart in it. Um so I've learned to lean into that as well like that works. Um and yeah, I think um I really, really, really see, um, I think about sound and music um, a lot. And um, like even with Lamert, I gave each character an instrument. Um, and then, you know, I really like doing that. I think I think um, Bridget had the harp and I forgot what the one had the bass. They were all strings, I think. And um, I just like to tell the story through the music and through the soundscape as well. And even so much so that when Angel was doing her film, I was like, this is what I did with Lamert. Like, you should try it. And she did the same thing. She gave Stevie um, and Isaiah instruments. And I think it really, especially because it was a two-person love story, I think it really heightened um, just how the language of the film, film language. So yeah, I think that's that's something that's also very important to me but yeah I think um highly collaborative you know I don't really see myself or ever um desire to be considered an auteur or anything of that nature like I really like um working in community and like working together to solve the problems and whoever has the best idea that's the idea and they can have they can get credit for it you know what I mean <laughs> yeah no for sure um in fact how's that working on your current project now you said you're directing your first feature is that correct did i hear you right yes um i got the netflix amplifier grant for that film last year gotcha congrats and and over that course of time we workshopped it and developed it with amazing team at film independent um and netflix and um we i'm working with a writer now to kind of finish things up and then it's just a matter of we have one cast member already. Um, and it's a, a matter of just um casting up and figuring out a time to shoot it. But it's a love, it's a love a love story. It's a it's a it's a rom drum um about two people who are in a relationship. Um and when we meet them, it's one year after it ended. And through kind of flashbacks, you see kind of the dismantling of the relationship and this date that you meet them on the first frame um is a date to just decide whether or not they spend a day together to decide if they want to try again um so that's that's what i'm working on it's, and it's set in new york and it's very cute i love it um and we, we're gonna do some really cool kind of because um the way we will look at this is like it's not just flashbacks it's their memories and memories are never how things actually happened and I think um, I really want to play with, you know, how one remembers it versus the other and um, 
just what memories feel like and how unreliable they actually are. Uh, yeah, I was about to say a reliable narration or, or how reliable and misremembering, et, et cetera. That sounds like that must have been a lot of fun to write. Was this your project that you wrote as well? No, it was given to me. I was an um, executive over at Confluential Films. Whoop, whoop, used to work there. Hey. And um, <laughs> they were like, yo, do you want to direct this? And I read it and it was, it just came in a really great time. I'd gone through a breakup just recently, you know, and I was like, oh my God, like. Wow, okay. So on, on point for like where yeah. I'm at. I met with the writer Richard and he was great. And we talked through things and we made a bunch of adjustments and um. I don't know. It's it's a really strong script. And I think it's just something that, especially like it's very, you know, two person rom drum. And we don't get a lot of those. I mean, we we definitely made that happen with really love. Yeah. We don't have many of them um, in the black community. I think we need way, way more. I've thought about that sometimes too. Off the top of my head, I just think about lately, like really love or the photograph. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like there's plenty of room for us to tell more rom drums. Now you're going to have me saying that. I've never heard that term, <laughs> folks, until yeah. this moment. So there you go. that's the new hotness. It sounds like that's, that's the new thing that's happening. Um, but you're right. No, it's it's I don't see those a lot uh, yeah. as much um, more uh, romantic comedies. I love to laugh, though, of course. So this, yeah. this sounds fun. Um, was it what, what did you learn about directing someone else's project in that relationship well, i haven't directed it yet so i'm we're um still casting so okay. we will i will be learning i mean i really like it like even even with um lamar park davida mm -hmm. uh did most of the writing so okay. it was we iterated in a very similar way um that richard and i did where i was like all up in it you know but they went and did the thing and brought it back so i like it Honestly, it's like less work. <laughs> to be honest, like it's just less work. Um, but yeah, and it and I think it um again because I really love bouncing ideas, you have another person, you know. So I like that part. Awesome. And you know what? Okay, to writing, can you describe your writing process? Ooh. <laughs> it's hard. Um, it's like because it's like of all the things, like, I mean, I, you probably watched me move around in this chair, look this way, look that way. I don't really sit still, you know? So um, it's the, it requires the most discipline from me to to sit and to do it. Um, and my process now has been to block out times in the day um, to actually do it as opposed to like letting it kind of flow. I block it off and it's like, silent on the phone everything is focus mode like i'm not doing anything else mm -hmm. um and i think um i really start off with typically i start off with an idea of something that like of a world it seems like and then i build a character because the character is usually loosely based off of something i've experienced mm. so it's like for example i met a guy in the airport we ended up you know um traveling together because we lost, you know, like miss our flight. We're well, not miss our flight, but our flight got canceled. Da, da, da. And then when we got to where we were going, um, my bag wasn't there and I had to go another two hours away. Mm. And this random guy um, 
It was like, I'll take it back for you. And then when you come back from your next trip, you can get it back. I don't know this man, but I'm like, okay, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't deliver it to my house. It was too far away. It was two hours away. So, you know, I'll come up with like, so then, you know, that becomes baggage bay, right? Or like, you know what I mean? So oh. I don't be the actual story of this guy, but it'll be some type of circumstance or like, you know, a TV show idea around homeschool moms, because it's a co-op that I'm with and the craziest yeah. thing happened. It feels like a workplace drama because like people think that momming isn't work, but it is, you know? And so how can we make it a workplace drama um, this kind of homeschool mom collective. So I usually, it usually is some type of bright idea first. And then I go, all right, cool. Who were, who are the people? And then I, and I go from there kind of scaffolding out like what it, what it will become. That's cool. How do you, and then how do you approach your characters? Like, well, you know what you did say it's based off of a little something it's it's mildly autobiographical. And yeah, I guess it's something you like That's what yeah, it is. Just, yeah, so like I'll Sorry. you know, <laughs> so like the baggage bay lady will be some version of myself right now. Where like um, like yeah, everything is usually something. You know, Lamert Park. You know, Mickey was a version. Of me. I, at that time, I was married, living with roommates. You know what I'm mm. saying? So like that's why Mickey was married, living with roommates. It's so oh. weird. You know? But like that's why. Like that's what I was doing. Um, so I think. Um, yeah, I usually take the crazy stuff happens to me. So it's like, why not? Half of it is unbelievable and I can't even use it. So the stuff that I can use, I use it, <laughs> you know. Got you. You make it, you kind of trim it down to, and, yeah, <laughs> for the pitch. You know, yeah, do whatever um, needs to be done to make it work for television and film and the three X structure where, you know, there's pretty rigid rules around what needs to happen anyway and mm -hmm. you have to be creative within those constraints you know yeah do you outline or do, do character biographies i don't really do character biographies um like long ones but i do kind of know what they want who they are what the background is you know what i mean what some of their emotional issues might be um you know stuff like that but i don't do like um hardcore kind of narratives around who they are because sometimes they change you know as you're writing mm -hmm. so i don't spend this time doing that because i know they might become something different um but i do know like the basics of who they are excellent okay how do you know when you've got a good script uh, as the writer I don't think you ever really know. <laughs> I think you like, you go like, okay, and you send it to somebody, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then they go, yeah. And then from that, you're like, oh, oh, was it, it was, it was all right. Cause it's like, that's the only thing is no, there's no input. So, you know, you just, for me, I, it's usually input from the outside. Like I'll feel good about it, but I'll be like, let me see how it lands. Cause it's not about how I feel about it is about if it actually, what I'm trying to say is um, clear and there's clarity there for the person who's reading it. Okay. Um, okay. Here's a personal thing. How will professional, how do you handle failure? So how do I handle failure? I mean, or do you believe in failure? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, philosophically, I guess that really doesn't exist, but it feels like it. And so if it feels real, it's real to me. But like, I think um, I handle it by um, really like trying to take what I can out of it. You mm -hmm. know, I definitely have like, I was saying, I think my my other partner, Steven, he can, he said this once and I was like, oh my God, um, rejection is protection. Like, I you know, sometimes, that, yeah. you know, sometimes you think like, it's like the worst thing ever. I definitely be like, I really wanted it and I didn't get it, you know, like, <laughs> like, I mean, I definitely have my moment and I go through, I have emotions around it. I don't just go, well, philosophically, there's no failure and like move on. Like I feel bad, you know, like I feel sad, but then, um, I don't give up one so I'm, I'm like well I gotta keep going like what can I learn from this what do I need to do to continue um uh, to move forward in, in this and um yeah and then I just go something else has to be around the corner like something else has to be coming my way I think that's how I deal with it I'm like well this is this is not in my life so it's made space for something else so what is it I mean I'm sitting there trying to figure it out but I definitely would like, all right, well, and that's really the case. It's always been the case. Like, I'll be like, oh, I didn't get this thing. And then I'll get something else. And I'm like, mm -hmm. if I would have taken that, I wouldn't have been able to do this. Yeah. So it happens like that. Um, and you just have to look at it like that. That's how it always is. It's like some other thing comes up, you know, and as long as you're alive, something else is going to come up. So I think just knowing that that is it and that obviously your expectation of doing it, you're going to feel disappointed. I mean, allowing, I allow myself space to be disappointed. Like, I'm not going to be a robot about it, but then, you know, kind of move forward being like, all right, well, I got space for something else to come and think about, you know, what other things I want to put my time and energy into and be open to things that I can't imagine happening. Mm -hmm. That's so real. It's great to hear, hear that. I had a feeling, I mean, you would say that, but I'm like, no, I want to know how does she feel? Cause somebody watching or listening might be like, no, oh, man, she, she's, she got all the friends. She got all the connections like look she's she's got it all figured out it's like no no we don't have it all figured out nobody has it all figured out yeah yeah you know yeah, yeah. i do not know but i I'm, I'm okay with that i think that's what it is awesome um would you have any advice to newbie mel at the start well, of your career i would say go for it more like don't be shy. Like, don't be afraid. Don't think that you're not ready. I think that was something that I did a lot in the beginning is just be like, Oh, I'm not ready for this. I'm not as experienced enough as I need to be. I need to like learn a little bit more. And now I know like, that's not really the, the way to look at it. You might not know you can learn on the job. There's so many people who don't know what they're doing um, and who get opportunities just because they're willing to step up and try. Okay. And they still don't know what they're doing and they get other jobs. Who knows how that happens, but it does happen. And I think it's the confidence that they have in themselves um, and the rapport that they make with the networks that they make that allow them to continue to, to do. So it's not always about how skilled you are, how prepared you are, um, how well-versed you are. It can be that you're confident enough to try. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I would tell myself. Can you speak to mentorship? Can we circle back to that? So mentorship, I think, is like the the most paramount factor um, in anyone's career. 
um, it's the, it's the biggest factor to where you'll go and what you'll do next, in my opinion. Now, I know there's other people who don't have mentors and they do really well and stuff, but I think that having a mentor is so valuable. Like it's going to make that experience just so much more pleasurable. They're going to be able to tell you things um, and, and, and give you advice and point out where the roadblocks are before you, you know, get to them and step on the landmines. And so I think, and they're going to also be able to sponsor you, you know, which means give you mentorship is one part, but like a really good mentor is going to move into sponsorship. You're going to make money with that mentor and they're going to help build your wealth and all of those things. And so, I mean, I know that was um, what I experienced as being um, mentored by Stephanie Elaine, who we talked about earlier. Um, I definitely do my best to be a mentor to others and to open up myself and uh, my network and um, just things that might be valuable to others um, because it happened for me. And I think it made a really big difference um, in terms of where I am and also how I just feel about myself. Like, it's like, you get to watch somebody do something that you want to do and they're really right there in front of you. Um, it makes it so much easier for you to believe you can do it too. So um, I think just that in, in and of itself is, um, and you can do that from afar. So you can also have mentors that don't know you, you know, like if, you, if that's where you're at, you know, like you can literally find someone's path that you're like wanting to emulate mm -hmm. and, and, and learn about them, learn about how they did it, follow them, follow what they're doing. And, and chart yourself after them. Cause that's what I did for my mentor. I just did everything she did until I found my own way. And I think that's, that's just an important, an important part of my path and, and can be an important part for anybody's path. If they're open to it and they have, you know, the opportunity to have a mentor. We can all do it together. That's what I'm taking away from this. Um, Mel, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sitting down to talk with yeah. me, share your stories, mentorship, everything. Um, where can people follow you? You're on, you're on Instagram. Where can people yeah, but you? I'm the worst on Instagram, but yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I just go to Jones. I'm never on there, but follow me and then I'll just see what you're doing because I don't ever do anything on there. But, at at Melly Mel Jones, did I say that right? Underscore yeah, Jones. Yeah, at Melly Mel underscore Jones. I'll link that for you guys in the in the show notes. You know how I do here. Um, yes, Mel, this has been great, guys. Follow her. Uh, check out Really Love on Netflix. Her oh. uh, first series, Lamar Park, is on BET Plus. If you want to check that out, and but do follow her so that you know when her next thing is coming out because she just told us she's working on her rom drum right now. Yeah, and I got a documentary. I'm going to LA to shoot next week, so there's always something, and I do post about those things as those come up. Okay, that's awesome. Um, if you guys, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to your size voice on black filmmaking. Thank you again, Mel. And uh, I'll see you guys on the next one. See you. All right. See ya. If you enjoyed that episode, I invite you to subscribe on your favorite listening app. To keep up with the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Josiah D-O-C-X and on Instagram at Josiah's Voice Pod. And if you like my theme music, it's called Brewer B by Mateo. The link is in the description. Thanks again and talk to you later.